passage um, for tonight is from Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bible. It is probably the most well-known Christmas passage. I'm just going to read it to you. It's verses 8 through 20. You can listen along or follow along as well. Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This text is... It's pregnant with prophecy, with uh, poetry, with history, um, with theology. Uh, and in fact, the, the one verse that we see preached on most is verse 14. And the one word we see preached on most is peace. But I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm going to do that tomorrow. Um, tonight, I want to look at two things briefly. I want us to look at how God communicated to us. And how we are called to receive what he has to say. We see here in verses 17 and 18. Um, the shepherds had heard this message and said they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So God speaks to them and they respond in a particular way. And with some wisdom and ears tonight by God's grace we will hear how God speaks to us. And how we too are to receive what he has to say in light of this Christmas season, and therefore see the impact that he desires to have on us. So first, let's look at just how God speaks to us. Communicating as fallen creatures is hard. Um, I I don't know most people that don't struggle in some way communicating with spouses, with friends, with children. Um, And and in my experience, most of the communication suffers from a lack of listening. We don't listen well. In fact, oftentimes, we, we don't know that we're not listening. Um, there are times when I'm reading or I'm studying and the kids are talking to me and they go, Dad! And I go, what? And they go, didn't you hear me? I'm like, no, I didn't hear you. I, I, was, I wasn't listening, right? Um, sometimes you'll have a good friend and you'll say, I, I had no idea that you were depressed. And they said, I've been telling you for weeks. You were hearing them, but you weren't listening to them. In fact, if, if you know you're not listening, then you're really listening. We call that selective hearing, Right? That's something that Bill Cosby used to joke about husbands doing to their wives after 10 years of marriage. They hear, but they just tune it out. Tonight, what I'd like us to look at is how when we miss what God has to say, it's it's an important thing for this reason. If God is talking, then we certainly want to listen. 
If God has something to say to us, then it's foolish for us as his created beings not to hear and then respond to what it is he has to say. So if, if he's talking and we're not listening, um, we need to say, well, why aren't we? I mean, how is he communicating in such a way that we keep missing it? I mean, God hasn't, he hasn't spoken to me. I didn't wake up in the middle of the night last night and he said, hey, Keith, by the way, say this tomorrow. That's not the normative means by which God communicates. So how does God talk to us? Just in this passage, we see three ways. One of which he talks through shepherds. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And that's the right response, right? They're having a normal night. They're watching their sheep. It's nice and quiet. And then the angel appear, and it's this, <gasps> right? They're terrified. God brings them a word. He brings them a vision. And they then take that, and they go tell everybody else. So the, the shepherds get a word from God. They get a miraculous vision from God. And everybody else gets a shepherd, right? Everybody else has to hear it secondhand from a group of people. I imagine most pastors that are preaching on this passage tonight or tomorrow, they talk about shepherds. And we know about shepherds, right? I mean, they were at the lower uh, end of the socioeconomic spectrum. They were not trustworthy. Their testimonies were not um, used in a court of law. They were a very marginal group of people. And yet God spoke to them, and then their testimony is what we had to be satisfied with. We had to hear them speak and go, now, there's a problem with that, right? Not only because of the character of the shepherds, but I, most people I know want God to speak to us in this way, through an angel. Send an angel, Lord. Talk to me that way. Give me the audible voice that I can't miss. I don't want to hear it from a shepherd, especially some of the shepherds that surround me. And yet we see this as a theme that permeates all of sacred scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, that God speaks through shepherds, through men and women just like you and just like me. Now you say, well, I, I know, I, I can think of Old Testament passages. I went to Sunday school and I, I remember you know, God speaking out of a burning bush. That's pretty miraculous. It is. And I know that God came down on Mount Sinai and there was, there was shaking and there was clouds and there was thunder. And that's miraculous also. But that's not normative. That's not the, the theme that we see permeate all of sacred scripture. In fact, it's just the opposite. God speaks in a very human way to us human beings. In 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19 when Elijah is running from Jezebel, remember that? And he goes up to Mount Horeb and he hides in a cave. And, and God comes to him. And the dialogue's fantastic. You know what gets him out of the cave? Let me read to you from 1 Kings 19. The Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by you. And Elijah just, he didn't move. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came what? A gentle whisper. And then we are told when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave in the presence of the Lord. A gentle whisper. Not in the fire, not the wind, not the earthquake. The normative means by which God communicates to us is whispers. It's through shepherds. Even in the New Testament, in Jesus' resurrected form, he spends 40 days teaching, 
He spends 40 days, people touching his hands and his side. They see him, they get all the glory, and they get an eyewitness account. What do we get? We get their testimony. We get their writings. Man's writings, not Christ himself. So what does this mean? Simply, that we should be wise to listen to the shepherds in our midst. Now, I'm not saying, oh, he's going to always pulling a pastoral authority thing. I'm not saying that at all. We're all shepherds, right? We are all called to guide and direct and love and nurture one another. And so we're surrounded by shepherds on a regular basis. In fact, I would argue that most of you heard about Christ and the gospel of grace from a friend, your parents, a brother or sister, shepherds that surrounded you, right? Very likely was not a pastor. The temptation is when the shepherds that we know are testifying to Christ is we put up our defense mechanisms and we say, wait a minute, I, I know you. And the better we know the shepherd, the harder it is to hear the message they have, right? Because our, my first thought was, before I came to a saving grace, who are you to tell me about a holy God in my city and the need to repent? Because I know you and I know your sins. We do that to guard ourselves and keep ourselves away from God. But just because the messenger is flawed, and by the way, the messengers will always be flawed. The shepherds are always flawed. Right? Just because the messengers are flawed doesn't mean the message is flawed. I mean, that's common sense. My, my father took out four of his grandsons golfing a couple months back, one of which is my youngest son, Joshua. He's eight years old. Now, Joshua, has, he's not, he hasn't spent a lot of time on a golf course, so he doesn't have proper golf etiquette. And he loves to talk, right? So every time my dad was in the tee box, Josh was like, hey, Papa, did you see? Hey, Papa, hey, Papa, hey, Papa. And Papa would say, Joshy, you're not supposed to talk when I'm teeing off. And then Papa would be on the green and go, hey, Papa, did you see that? Hey, Papa, hey, Papa. Well, on one hole, my dad had taken his golf cart and he put it up on a hill. This is the story that I heard through a shepherd. And... He was about to putt. My father was about to putt. And Josh, he chimed in. He said, hey, Papa, hey, Papa. He says, not now. And at that moment, his golf cart was rolling down the hill. (laughs) Joshua had a message. (laughs) And it was a truthful message. But he was a flawed messenger. Why? Because he wouldn't stop talking, right? He was a flawed messenger in terms of his golf etiquette. But the message was real. And as the story goes, someone was chasing after the golf cart. I don't know who it was. Was it you? Okay. Did you catch it? Good. All right. You're not too flawed then as a shepherd, are you? All right. So God speaks to us through shepherds, parents, friends, family members, pastors, deacons, brothers and sisters in Christ to communicate to us. And he speaks here to, the, to shepherds who were very flawed. But the message they had, the most profound message, or one of the most profound in all of sacred scripture, was given to them to be given to others. So first we see that God speaks through shepherds. Secondly, we see that God speaks through trials and failure. He said, I didn't see that in the text. We'd have to go back to verse 1. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. The only reason that you see nativity scenes is because Joseph and Mary were forced by Roman law to travel to the town of Bethlehem, which was David's hometown, and Joseph was of that bloodline, to register for the census. And so they're moving through what, was, what was, they were legally bound to do. In other words, the, the Jews were an oppressed people. They were, they were a conquered people. They were not a free people. 
And so God oftentimes brings his message, sometimes his most important message, to his people in the midst of trial and suffering and hardship and pain. And we see that as a common theme throughout sacred scripture as well. We, we want angels, and God tells us, talks to us through shepherds. We want success, and God talks to us more oftentimes than not through our failures. In Acts chapter 26, when Paul encounters this miraculous theophany of Christ on the road to Damascus, do you remember what Jesus says to Paul? Something very strange. He says in verse 14, he says, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, kick against the goats. And I'm thinking, why is Paul kicking goats? Didn't make any sense. It's not goats, it's goads. And a goad was a pointed stick that shepherds would use to keep the sheep in line. And sheep, as you know, are not very smart animals. So as they're heading toward a dangerous place, they would goad them. They would poke them, and it would hurt, and it would redirect them. And so Christ is saying here that I will use failure, I will use hardship, I will use pain to redirect you out of the darkness and into the light, into my arms. Why? Because I love you. And so we say we want angels, and he sends us shepherds. We say we want success, talk to us through that, Lord, and he talks to us through failures, through difficulties, through goading. Um, Whenever I do uh, premarital counseling for those who I'm about to marry, we talk about you know, the helpmate. And the idea is hysterical that the husband and the wife, they're going to see the flaws you know, in their spouse and they're lovingly going to talk to them and pray about it and the spouse will lovingly agree and then that person will grow in Christ over time and they'll become a mature believer. And that's not how it works at all. In fact, goading is a much better um, word to be used in how marriages fetter themselves out. Uh, and I'll, I'll, this, So this is how it works. At least this is how it's worked for me. When a spouse gets you to a point where you're so irritated that you say things and you think things and you do things you would never do otherwise, right? You've been goaded to the point. And then all this stuff comes out. And you are shocked and the spouse is shocked and saying, I had no idea you thought like that. I didn't know you could talk like that. I didn't know you could act like that. And the bad stuff, all the deep-rooted stuff comes out. And then you can actually deal with it for the first time. It's not by... And I'm not saying that you shouldn't sit down and pray together and all that. That's great stuff. But the goading brings out stuff that then you can deal with through the hardship and the pain and the difficulty. So we want angels. God sends shepherds. We want success. God gives us failures. We want, you know, the audible voice, and he gives us the Bible. Right? I mean, look at verse, look at verse uh, 9 and following. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. We say, I want that. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. They receive a word from God. They actually receive a word, the shepherds do. God's saying, listen, I've prophesied about this moment over 300 times in the Old Testament. You can go back and look it up later, he said. And that moment is now here. I've sent my son to be the Messiah, to redeem mankind, to buy you back from sin and death and hell. And so Christ shows up in the flesh. He lives the perfect life. He teaches, he heals, he ministers. He's, he, he reveals himself to the apostles, to the disciples, and to all those who were around. And then he leaves and he gives us their writings. They testify to it. 
the disciples, the apostles, those who are around. He gives us something that is veiled in flesh as well. Now, I want to be very careful. I'm not saying that the Bible is not inspired by God. It is. I'm not saying it's not infallible. It is. I'm not saying it's the very word of God. It is. But it's, it's written by men who were inspired by God, not by God. He didn't take his finger out like in the first tablet and scroll. He didn't do that. That's why when you open the Bible, you don't have these neon lights, right? When you open the Bible, more oftentimes you, you'll read and you go, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why? Because you get to work at it. It's veiled in flesh. You have to study it. You have to learn things about it. The context. When it was written. To whom it was written. You have to study it. You have to meditate on it. It's hard. In fact, I will tell you from a path. It's excruciating at times. Why can't he give us the neon lights? Why can't I open the Bible and have rays come out? Shekinah glory rays, right? Veiled in flesh. This is how he communicates to us. We say, I want an angel. He says, here's a shepherd. I want success. He says, here's a failure. He says, you say, I I want the neon lights. He says, here's my Bible. He communicates to us quite simply, simply in very human ways. God communicates to human beings in a human way that we can understand and actually move in. The question is this for us. Are we listening? I mean, are we, do we see how God is communicating to us? And then are we listening to what he has to say? Or are we always looking for the angel to say something to us in an audible fashion? That's, it's a dangerous thing in the church today, and I hear it a lot. God said to me, and I'm like, how did he say it? Well, he said to me, yeah, but how did he say it? Because I'm intrigued. I am. I can honestly say God's never said to me in an audible voice, Keith, do this. I've never had that happen. I've never had an angel appear to me. Not that I'm aware of. Maybe they have, you know, but not that I'm aware of. It hasn't happened. I've never opened the Bible and had neon lights come out. Not once. When God communicates, he says, I'm going to communicate to you in the most human of ways. And I want you to listen. I want you to listen to the shepherds that surround you. I want you to hear what I have to say to you in a still, small voice in the midst of your failures. I want you to open up my, my word, my Bible. And I want you to read what I have to say to you. These are love letters that I've given to you. Now read them and study them. You, not just the pastor or the Sunday school. You, take it home, read it, meditate, study, learn, and grow. The number of people today in the church that use the Bible like a tarot card, you know, they'll go home and they just open it up. What does it have to say? Oh, what is, you know, Joshua 9. You'll end up with some really, really, really weird stuff if you do it like that. The Bible is meant to be studied wisely. And so... If the question is, are you listening? Then the, the second question would be, well, how do we listen to this? I mean, how do we do this? Because most Christians would love an angel to speak to them. And most would love for, um, you know, the Bible to actually light up in ways where we don't have to study, we don't have to work. But that's not the case. So how, how should we listen? How must we listen? The answer is actually given in this text as well. How are we to hear the message that this Jesus, the Savior of the world, was actually born, that he became a man? Because that's tough. I mean, the whole idea of the incarnation is a tough thought. How are we to hear and understand that sin has caused a break in the relationship between man and God? That it's not right. How are we supposed to hear that God had to come down from heaven, become a man, to make it right, to do something, to bring back a right relationship between God and fallen man? 
How are we supposed to listen to the hope of shepherds? I don't even know what a shepherd looks like. How am I supposed to, in 2011, listen to this message given by these obscure men 2,000 years ago and actually say, yeah, Jesus is the light of the world. How am I supposed to hear the prophet Isaiah say that people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. How? Here's how. This light that we talk about, the candles that illuminate this place tonight, it represents Christ. It represents this season we call him baby Jesus. He was only a baby for a little while. It represents God coming down and revealing himself to us and doing a work that we could not do ourselves. And the way that we are to listen properly is by seeing him clearly. Who he really is. Not who the culture says he is. Not who many in the church say that he is. But who he really is as he's revealed himself in sacred scripture. Verse 11. The angel said, Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Sotir Christos Kurias. Savior, Messiah, God. That's the baby. When you, when you pass by a manger scene, you go, oh, how cute, little baby, Savior, Messiah, God. That's who's in the cradle that wasn't really a cradle and the manger that was really more likely a cave. And the wise men weren't there either. It's not historically accurate, but that's not the point. The point is, the baby is the Savior, the Messiah, he is God. And this is how we must see him. This is how we must receive this good news of great joy. And in this passage, there are two responses. One, amazement. Look at verse 18 if you have your Bibles. All who heard it, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They were amazed, awestruck. And then in verse 19, Mary. It says, but Mary. And Luke, he does that as a contradiction. All who heard it were amazed, but Mary, what did she do? She treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The crowds were amazed. Mary pondered what the angel had said to the shepherds. The crowds were in awe. Mary treasured up these eternal truths in her heart. She took them inside. The crowd, in many ways, I imagine is very much like the churches tonight and tomorrow. They're filled with people who hear this. And if, the, if it's particularly striking, you know, if you have 5,000 candles instead of a few, if you have, you know, a 50-piece band, um, if you have a, an actual, you know, live nativity scene, go, if you have all these, and it's particularly amazing, the crowds are going to say, it's amazing. Did you, did you see that? Did you hear it? It was, it was really neat. It was incredible. It was intriguing. Curious. But they will not leave with a changed heart. The most common response is one of amazement and not transformation. It's one of, ooh, wow, cool, not pondering, treasuring, meditating, changing. And so what we see here is the crowds reacted. And whatever they experienced, whether it was an emotional feeling, maybe it was conviction, maybe, they were, maybe there was fear that came into it, maybe there was just general interest, they were a little more intrigued and wanted to know more. Whatever it was, unless they took it and they pushed it in and they chewed on it, it was fleeting. It was temporary. And that's why Luke intentionally sets Mary apart, because Mary experienced a heart change. How? 
What was the difference? It said that she treasured in the Greek that soon to rail. And it said they treasured this, this news from the shepherds. And it, it, means to, uh, it means to memorize in part, but to value or, or to, to put great worth to what was said. And then it says that she pondered. And that word is sumbalo, and it means to converse with somebody, which is really weird. But it's not if you think about it. She, she, took, she treasured it. She thought about it. She meditated on it. She, um, she contemplated it. And then she talked. With whom? With God. With herself. She dialogued about this news that was given to her, the mother of the Messiah, the Sotir, the Savior. And she dialogued for years with herself, with others, with God. And what she did is she, instead of just being amazed and entertained and possibly a bit afraid, she took this news and she pushed it in deep. She pushed it in. The 19th century Russian author, Fyodor Dostoevsky, um, is someone I've been reading a lot of lately. He was exiled to Siberia for four years in a Siberian prison, and then he was forced to spend five more years serving in the Siberian army, which was equally bad. While he was in prison, uh, a woman, a local, one of the um, uh, people who would come and sell goods, actually gave him a copy of the Bible. And he took it back, and, and he read it, and he read it, and he read it, and he spent thousands of hours treasuring and pondering this gospel of grace. Not only did he come to a saving grace, but it went in so deep that he came out a completely changed man. He went to jail. He was sentenced to jail. And actually, they did a, 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 a mock execution on him because he was, being, he was considered a rebel or subversive to the government, to the czar. He went in a rebel and he came out a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then he wrote prolifically on this. Why? What message did he hear that you didn't hear? Same message. But he took it and he pushed it in. He pondered and he treasured deeply. And as a result, he changed. What is this telling us? If you want to hear God speak to you through flawed shepherds like myself and those sitting around you, if you want to hear God speak to you in that still small voice in the midst of your trials and your persecution and the really hard times, if you want to hear God speak to you through his holy word, the Bible, which is God-breathed and inspired, if you want to read his Bible as love letters that were given to you to know, to enjoy, to treasure up in your own heart, then you must give yourself to their objective reality. What do I mean by that? You must hear the message as being true, independent of you. The message is true. Christ came, Christ lived, Christ died, he rose again, and he offers you grace freely. That message is true, independent of how you think or feel about it. So you must believe that it is true in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your successes. Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 5 about the word of God, he said, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, most Christians say, I believe that. I do. I believe the, the word of God is real. I believe it is the word of God. I believe it is objectively true. But then we don't take the next step, and that is apply it to our own lives. We don't make it subjectively true as well. We don't ponder it. We don't treasure it. We don't take it in and say, yes, this is the very word of God. Speak to me. Change me. Encourage me. Convict me. Give me strength. It applies to everyone else. 
Christians are amazingly good at seeing scripture verses and going, oh, I know who this is for. And then you send it via email. You know, you really need to read this passage. It's supposed to apply to us, too. Maybe to someone else, but to you certainly, right? Objectively true and subjectively personal. To you, you get it. When we read in Hebrews, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You shouldn't say, that's right, because that's for you as well. It judges your attitude and your heart, and it reveals that which we must see. It's not until you, like Mary, begin to treasure the ultimate treasure, the pearl of great price, the darling of heaven, baby Jesus the Savior, the Messiah, God. Until you begin to see him for who he is and then live in accordance with that objective truth that you too will begin to change. Your heart will begin to change. This holiday season, I would encourage you to give yourself a gift. I know that's hard for many of you to hear me say to you, but you should. And it should be a gift of treasuring and pondering. This time of year is set apart to stop and reflect upon the birth of the Savior, the Messiah, God. And it's not, it shouldn't be so fleeting that we, we get caught up in the emotional response to it. We get caught up in the materialistic response, which is the buying and exchanging of gifts. Or we get caught up in the food It should be a time where we actually stop and we ask ourselves, am I listening? Am I hearing the shepherds in my midst? Am I hearing God speak to me in that still small voice when I'm hurting and when I'm depressed and when I'm full of anxiety and when I'm discouraged? Am I hearing God speak to me through his living word, through his Bible? Am I? And am I redirecting that to gaze upon the Savior all my days? Hear the words of the angels spoken to the shepherds on that holy night and on this holy night. They said, God says to you, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. I'd like tonight for us to receive communion. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then this ordinance is for you. The bread represents his body, a body that was broken on the cross as a means of um, sacrificing for the brokenness that we were supposed to experience and that we experience right now as, as sinners. The juice represents his blood, and that blood was spilled so that your blood could be spared And it represents, in total, the sacrifice that Christ made. He came as a baby to grow up to be a man to die. In fact, he's the only man that was ever born with the sole purpose of dying. That's why he came. But in his death, he then rose again and he offers to us life. And so he says to you tonight, listen to me. Hear what I'm saying through this flawed shepherd, Pastor Keith. He's saying, come to this table... Freely. Receive me freely. 
take the bread that represents my broken body, take the juice that represents my blood, and receive the grace and the joy and the love and the hope that I have to offer to you freely. Take it. He says, tonight, of all nights, on Christmas, take it tonight. 